The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. We have episode 129. Instead of a short story at the end of the episode, we are starting Beyond Brightside. Uh, I love this audiobook. Darren Elliker is the narrator. Uh, he did an incredible job. Um, I don't know if it's as good as Ain't No Messiah. They're both equally awesome. Let's just say that. Uh, I think it's a pretty exciting book, pretty violent book. Um, even if you haven't read or listened to Brightside, I think you could deal, uh, you know, you could enjoy it. Um, kind of stands alone but if you have read bright side and trying to study on bright side it definitely adds to it you'll care more about the characters so maybe go back and check those out i think i haven't played try not to die on here uh it's a little too hard with the format and having the death scenes and all that kind of stuff but i know for sure bright side is on here and you can get everything on audible um audiobooks are available everywhere so we'll, today we will do chapters one through three. Those are all smaller chapters. It's a much quicker paced book, a shorter book. And so uh, I think we'll get through it pretty quickly. Uh, it's been a pretty exciting week. A lot of cool shit came in. I got the hardcovers for both the English and the German copies of TBI or CTE. Uh, really digging both of them. I think they came out great. Um, and the nice thing is, when I ordered these, I was really worried they weren't going to come on time. When I ordered them from Lightning Source, they said it was 10 to 15 business days. If it took more than 12 business days, I was fucked and I wasn't going to get them. But fortunately, they came after like three business days. So uh, that was awesome. Those are here. I just picked up my sales sheets that I'm going to be giving to foreign reps and literary agents. That's all set up. I'm setting up the printer in Germany to get my... Uh, extra brochures, bookmarks, all that kind of stuff, uh, a bunch of flyers, like 4,000 different flyers. And uh, so that's all being set up in Germany. Over here on this end, I've got all my books together. Now, the only thing I need is uh, actually my, and I also have a bunch of brochures and bookmarks coming here as well. So I could take some with me uh, just in case the Germany thing doesn't work out and there's any issues. So I don't want to go empty handed. But feeling good that I have all that set up. Uh, my assistant Alvin did an incredible job creating all the sell sheets, posters, bookmarks, all that kind of stuff. So it's nice having a solid team. Um, oh, one other thing that just came in. I got the new version of the Try Not to Die face mask. The old one sucked. I really did not like the old one. I like the design. Brian Atroya made the face mask of the design. This one just fits a lot better, way more comfortable, has a filter inside it. Um, the other one just would not fit my face, wouldn't, just wasn't a good fit. So these ones are cool. Really digging this. Um, be able to have that in time for Germany too is a nice little bonus. So a lot of cool shit going on. One negative thing, uh, and again, it's not that negative of a thing, um, but it's related to Beyond Brightside. Beyond Zeit von Brightside. The German version, I realized, I just pulled it off of, um, I pulled the ebook from all publishers, just putting it on pause because I realized there are way too many errors with the translation. I haven't had a chance to have my proofreader go on that. She's been working on Brightside which I should have done from the very start, but I didn't realize the importance of having a proofreader in addition to a translator. It was an extra cost. I was trying to speed things up. I didn't do it. 
now that I'm doing it with all my books, I'm realizing, fuck, I really, uh, I made a mistake by not doing that. So with Beyond Brightside, I just took a quick look at it because my German is crappy, especially my ability to read it. I wasn't too aware when I first looked at it of the errors, but there are quite a few. I don't want readers seeing that. And so that's why I pulled it. And there's really no rush. Um, she should, my proofreader should be done with Brightside by the time I get to Germany. Then I'll have her go straight into Beyond Brightside. So I think we should probably have that done in a month later. And then after that, um, Twisted Reunion should be finished. My translator is working on that right now. So, and I'm also starting a brand new German newsletter. That's only going to be a monthly thing. I have a weekly one for the U.S. Uh, the German one will only be once a month because it's going to take me a little bit of work trying to write it and all that kind of stuff. So, but I am anxious to start building that up. I, I think it's going to be cool. It's helping my language learning. I've definitely been listening to a lot more. Um, like for my physical therapy, I have to drive, it's about 30 or 40 minutes each way. I listen to videos on how to speak German. So just hearing it over and over. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, I don't need to learn German for this trip. Um, I don't need to learn it for translating the books or any of that kind of stuff. It's just something that I've been doing for my brain. And now I've gotten to the point where like, okay, I you know what I do kind of want to get fluent. So I will put in a little bit more work. And then once I get to a pretty good spot with it, then I want to switch to another language. And which is cool because that's not something I ever thought I could do. I didn't think I had that ability. Also didn't think I'd want to put in the time to do it. But I would much rather spend my time doing that than playing a video game that's just what's it. I think there's great reasons to play video games. I still am going to play video games and I do that to relax and everything. But if I have 15 minutes to kill while I'm waiting to pick up my kids, I'd much rather do a brain app or a language app or play music or do something creative like that instead of just numbing out my brain. Um, so time and place for everything. Everyone's got their own deals. That's what I do. That's what works for me. So that's the kind of shit I am going to keep doing. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, not a whole lot else going on. I've been working out this week. Can't tell because I'm wearing a black shirt, but otherwise you see all my big bulging muscles. Maybe not. No, it's it's kind of sad how weak I am compared, especially compared to how strong I used to be. I was just having this talk with my son before. I know a lot of former athletes love to talk about how strong they were and this and that. Um, but I generally talk myself down. Like I always say, you know, I was a shitty fighter. I was a shitty boxer. Uh, but at that same time, I was telling my son, I was like, look, I can help you with sports because I... I know how to train, you know, even though I wasn't a great boxer, I wasn't like, I wasn't a good boxer. I wasn't a great fighter. I was training with good boxers. I was training with great fighters. I was putting in the work. I was, you know, I know how to train. I know how to push myself. I know what's an injury. I know what's, you know, just an inconvenience. I know. So, um, so we had a pretty cool talk and we were talking about weightlifting and what I'm starting to do now with my buddy, George, you know, we only lift like two to three days a week. Then one of the days we'll do yoga. Yesterday we did yoga in the morning, which was awesome, especially after the weightlifting. But my strength, I mean, I used to be very, very strong. That used to be my pride and joy. I was into powerlifting. Um, when we were teenagers, uh, my two brothers and I held a little record for California weightlifting. Um, so going from being one of the strongest guys in my high school, one of the strongest guys in my college to being super weak uh it could be it could be hard but i'm not taking it like that like we're just in the backyard we're not going to a gym so there's no pressure there's no one watching us and we both have in our head like look we're doing this for our overall health 
It's making us feel better. Even if, you know, even if our body's not changing yet and saying they're not getting more muscular, you know, every day we're feeling a little bit better. It feels a little bit easier to look in the mirror and shit like that. So, uh, you know, just starting that day by doing something physical, I think is super important. That's been a really hard thing for me, but now that's pretty much how I'm starting every morning. So from eight to 10 o'clock is generally working out. And then I try to get in as much writing or whatever else. I can't even say writing because honestly, I haven't been doing much writing at all. Uh, this is last two months has all been maybe even longer has been all about, you know, preparing all these books for Germany, getting everything lined up, figuring out the TBI book, doing all the marketing. I still need to do a lot more stuff with that. But I'm finally getting to the point where I feel like, okay, I'm about to be able to get creative again. Um, and this trip to Germany, I am, what I've been doing, you know, it hasn't been much, but I have been playing around with the uh, Trinistai in the Wild West. That book has gotten pretty dark. Um, I'm enjoying it, but I feel bad for this main character. Like it's, it's definitely changed uh, the feel of it. And so I'm anxious on this trip. I will put in all my notes. I will give the first half of the book, what I've changed to John Palsano. Then we will see what he likes, what he doesn't like. We'll adjust it, and then we'll go ahead and finish it up from there. Uh, but again, that's pretty cool. That'll be out next year. Uh, should, end of this year, we still have uh, trying to die in the, what is it, Wizard's Tower. That's going to be super cool. Uh, I haven't talked to Sage on that in the last couple of weeks, but he's an incredible artist, and he's doing all kinds of awesome art for this thing. He's already got a cool map for the first page, um, all these little uh, drawings for throughout the book so that book is going to be a special book that's going to be super cool um, i'm excited about that and that one we were trying to put out in december so a lot of cool stuff going on but i'm tired of talking i still need to write a newsletter then i'm going to go play some fortnite with my son who is playing hooky today actually he had a doctor's appointment and decided to keep him home because he's been kicking ass at school and why not um so let's go out on beyond bright side Hopefully you guys are going to dig this one. I really enjoyed writing it. It gets dark. It gets a little messy, very bloody, but whatever. It is what it is. So Beyond Brightside, narrated by Darren Elliker, chapters one through three. Hope you guys dig it. Have an incredible weekend, and I will talk to you later. Peace. Night seven, chapter one. In Brightside, I counted by days, but since the escape, it's been nothing but nights. It's nearly night seven, the last bits of sunlight crawling through the cracked mud that patches together the warped pieces of plywood. The floor is a filthy strip of brown carpet covering dirty concrete, our roof a drooping blue tarp. The hanging black blanket is the only thing separating me from the rest of the shack. Our shitter's an orange and black Home Depot bucket. A fifth of the five-gallon capacity is filled with my watery mess. The plastic edge is embedded in my legs and ass because I've been sitting here so long. I should be sleeping, but I'm too ashamed to face the person whose life I absolutely wrecked. I can't let her see me like this. I assumed roaches would be the biggest problem under a bridge, but right now, it's the flies. Dozens are buzzing between the bucket and my soiled clothes stuffed in the corner, but nearly as many are hovering above my left collarbone, the bloody bandage advertising a feast. 
With the sling off, I can move my lower arm a bit, but the upper part is taped tight to my chest. Thanks to the oxy, I can't feel my ankle much either. Just a hot throb. My toes are the deep purple of overripe grapes, because I'm terrible at taking advice, ignoring everyone who'd said we wrapped it too hard. But none of it matters. All I need the foot for is this one last night. From the other side of the blanket, she whispers my name. Her voice is sweet and innocent, although I tore that away when I refused to take her no for an answer. A true American hero. Joe, she says loud enough to hear over the traffic. Please come back. I say I will. I'm almost done. The syringe glistens in my palm. Five cc. More than enough to end everything. I need to say a prayer. Even when I was a kid, I thought praying was bullshit. Crazy how things change when the knowledge that you'll die one day solidifies into the understanding that the end could come any goddamn second. It isn't just the boots that want revenge. It's the whole fucking country. Probably the world. They all saw the videos of what we did. According to the media, I'm a stone-cold killer. The most wanted man in America. It's a long story, and if you don't know about Brightside, I don't know where the hell you've been. It's where they stuck us. A beautiful prison for telepaths. A power so great, it made our lives worthless. That's the thing I need you to remember. They left us no choice. We had to get out of Brightside. We did what we had to. And there's one last thing left to do. Night One, Chapter Two. The sun was still up when day 100 became night one, the exact moment there was no turning back and simply saying sorry. I've been planning the escape for a long time, training my body and mind for what I imagined lay ahead. My escape was supposed to be sneaky, slipping away in the dark. After Sarah, the beauty I shared an office with, turned down the offer, it was going to be just me all by myself. But then it became me and Rachel, someone to enjoy pina coladas with on the beach. Then Sharon, Brightside's shrink and undercover resistance ringleader, roped me into a master plan designed by my own father. On day 99, I was left with no choice but to be their trigger man. I'd still planned on Rachel being right there beside me, but she saw the lipstick, knew it was Sarah's. When I said my final goodbye to Rachel, she had been dead for 15 hours, stuffed in my closet. Her face was gone along with most of her skull, her Care Bears shirt drenched in blood. With no sleep, a dead girlfriend, and a psychopath threatening to kill me, I went up to the rooftop of the tallest building in Brightside. From there, I took out one of their helicopters with a lucky shot and watched it crash on the square below. The boots were already clearing the building so I hurried down to the fourth floor where I sold timeshares. That's when Wendell called me into the bathroom and saved me from that rookie boot by thunking his head on the sink. 
The burning helicopter was enough of a distraction that I was able to make it out of the building unnoticed and rendezvous with Sarah, who got pulled back into the madness when that psychopath Wayne kidnapped her mentally disabled brother Danny. We hurried up the mountain to the hidden mine shaft, but I twisted my ankle tripping over a root. As bad as it hurt, I could put pressure on it, and we made it to the mine, where Wayne was waiting, the tip of his knife drawing blood from Danny's neck. I tricked Wayne into trusting me and managed to get hold of the shotgun, but I was too much of a coward to pull the trigger. Wayne ripped the shotgun out of my hands and slammed me into the rocks, used the Mossberg to crush my throat. Everything would have ended right there if it hadn't been for Danny attacking Wayne and Sheriff Melvin putting a bullet through his brain. At first I believed that if I'd left right then and gone down the shaft with Sarah and everyone else, we would have gotten away without a hitch. Now I know that's not true. My going back to get Wendell's 16-year-old sister Becky slowed us down a bit, but they'd been waiting all along. Some of those fuckers knew what was going down. They fucking knew. Agent Palmer knew. He was the one waiting for us with a sniper on the other side of the mine. I'd just blown away three boots on the 200-foot-high ledge and more were coming. The rope ladder was slick with ice, but I had control over my fear of heights, my will to live overriding everything else. I was halfway down when the sniper opened fire, missing my face by just inches before blasting the hole through my collarbone. Sheriff Melvin saved me again by taking out Palmer and the sniper. Sarah and Danny waiting on the side of the boot-splattered highway with Dad was the surprise. He was our driver. They stuck me in the back of the moving van with 40 others, leaving behind dozens more that couldn't fit. I hoped some of them would make it. But we've seen every one of their bodies on TV. Their dead mugshots making you feel better. Keeping all your dirty secrets safe. Chapter 3 There were twenty too many of us in that truck. No room between our squished bodies, just dark thoughts to match the blackness. I was in shock, but heard Becky's and Sarah's thoughts along with everyone else's inside my six-foot radius. Most were scared, all of us delusional, hoping we'd just got through the worst of it. Being more of a realist, I figured we were fucked but I tried my hardest to stay positive for the others. Sharon was up in front and didn't get to see it, but I think she'd have been proud of me. Even with the bullet through my collarbone and my mangled ankle, it was my delusion that brought calm to the van. I believed we were free. But that shit only lasted like two seconds, Becky bringing back reality by thinking the cops were going to light up our vehicle, bullets blasting through the thin walls until we were all dead. My mouth was parched, so I kept silent. We'll make it. Palmer probably reported us, but he doesn't know where we're headed. It helped ease her mind. I told Becky that it was my dad driving. He wouldn't have risked everything for nothing. The line seemed to work on her, but then I got to thinking about what she said, how we were all going to die in that box. I tried to sit up and nearly screamed. Through clenched teeth, but loud as I could to be heard over the thrumming road, I asked, Who knows the plan? A man toward the front said, 
None of us. From somewhere close, Taryn said, Yep, everything's compartmentalized. A woman whose voice I didn't recognize said, Only Sharon, and she's up front. I asked about Demarius, Sharon's right-hand man. Someone said Demarius didn't make it. Ate a bullet in the park. Carlos, my bright side travel boss, crawled over and said, Hey, Joe, we're all proud of you. I never thought I'd hear those words out of his mouth. I also never realized how meaningless words could be. I asked, What do you know? Some, but not much. You doing okay? I asked about guns, and he said we had a couple. I asked what our contingency plan was if we got pulled over and reminded him, we have to assume everyone's searching for this truck, or at the very least, something big enough to transport this many people. Carlos was just like the rest and didn't know shit. Think about how many men we've killed. I wanted to be wrong, but knew I wasn't. They can't let us get away with this. Sheriff Melvin said, I've got eight bullets on me. A small cache should be waiting at the drop-off. It was growing more difficult to speak, so I directed my thoughts at Melvin. Where's that? Melvin was all guesses. I called out for the other gunman, but we hit a bump, and I yelled from the blast of pain radiating from my shoulder. Sarah held me tighter and said, Shush. That just made things worse. Had me feeling trapped with all that blood pooling on my lap. Nervous like I'd never heard her, Sarah said, Is there anyone with medical experience in here? I don't know what to do. No one said a word. But then Dr. Osaka, Brightside's vet, knelt beside me, put his hand on my forehead, and wished me peace. He unbuttoned my shirt while Sarah shined the flashlight she'd pulled from my pocket. Osaka confirmed what I figured. It shattered, but not bleeding badly. It'll need to be cleaned but not while we're moving. Too dangerous. Sarah asked, What can we do? Osaka placed gauze in Sarah's hand and guided her to the hole. Maintain pressure. Will he be okay? Osaka patted my head, but I could barely feel it, my hearing going the same way as my vision. It sounded like he was talking with a mouthful of cotton. He'll have to be, he said. He has no choice. I woke to the tick of the truck's turn indicator as we eased off the freeway. I had no concept of time and asked, How long has it been? Everyone agreed it was around 30 minutes, which meant we were either getting off the 190 West or M90 South, either one giving us escape options. The truck slowed to a crawl, but the turn up and incline bounced us all around, the pain whipping me awake. My dad alerted us before raising the rear door, said we were safe, and warned us not to shoot. The warehouse lights were dim, but it still took a second for my eyes to adjust, dad standing in front of a bunch of strangers. Everyone else's eyes must have started working too because they all rushed for the door. Someone knocked Sarah into me and I screamed. Dad yelled, Stop! He shouted it even louder, and everyone froze in place. Order! We have info and supplies, but we need order. Danny, Sarah, and Becky formed a circle around me while the others cleared out. They were careful getting me down, but everything hurt. 
The noise so loud with everyone rushing about, hugging, crying, shouting. The voices blended with idling vehicles on either side. My head started throbbing, and my hearing got fuzzy, sound coming in waves. They brought me to my dad, his dusty brown eyes sparkling behind his glasses, his hair so much grayer than it had been three months before. I wanted to hug him, to say something, but all I could think was, I feel sick. Always quick with an answer, Dad said, shock's wearing off is all. He ordered Danny and Becky to take me to the blue station wagon at the back of the warehouse. My ankle was ballooning out my sock, a tenderness that couldn't be touched. I only had the one arm to hold on with, so Danny, who's built like an NFL lineman, took all my weight while Becky cleared a path through the reunions. Moving hurt like hell, but it helped me focus, kept away the nausea. Becky, whose freckled face was scratched from being pulled through the trees during our escape, popped the rear door and cleared a space between all the bags and blankets. After a painful struggle getting my jacket off me, Becky placed it under my head for a pillow. She said, you'll be okay. Three loud claps echoed through the building, Dad's favorite call for attention. Listen up, he said. All brightsiders need to follow whatever your outsider tells you. We know what to do, where to avoid, how to act. All I could see was the drab gray roof of the station wagon, while a woman kept shouting for Tommy, demanding someone answer her. Dad said something, but I couldn't listen because I was freaking out, afraid that I was about to die. I called for Danny, then Becky, but neither was there. My eyelids were too heavy, my mouth parched. It was sad to think the gunmetal gray might be the last thing I'd see. Father told me to wake up, but my eyes wouldn't open. He said it again. Even if I could, I wouldn't open them. I didn't want to go to school. His hand went on my right shoulder. Now. Nearly every morning it was the same thing, him shaking me awake all pissed off because Mom had stayed overnight at some friends. Joe, wake up, Dad said, ripping me out of the past. The morphine should take away some of the sting, but I don't want you jumping. The lights were blinding, and I'd been drained of all energy the entire left side of my torso an angry throb. I mumbled, turn it off, and tried to shield my eyes. But that arm was in a sling, and my right hand held tight by Danny, who was draped over the back seat, his usual smile hidden by an expression of concern. Sarah said sorry and moved the beam of light off my face, the gunmetal gray coming back. Keep the light right where it is, one hand on that shoulder, Dad told her. Joe, you just breathe and hold still. I couldn't help but think of Dad's motto that I'd always thought was just talk. Prepare for success, but plan for disaster. His head hovered above the bullet hole. We've got to get this clean, he said. We'll be fine. I closed my eyes and wished I'd just pass out. Whether it was the morphine or Dad's skill, I didn't feel a thing. He pulled back out of sight and said, God damn, you got lucky. I kept my teeth clenched to speak, Don't feel lucky. Dad rummaged around in a bag by my head. The package he pulled out matched the gray roof. 
He tore off the top and said, If that bullet hit two centimeters lower, you would have bled out before you made the truck. Danny squeezed my hand a little tighter and said, It's okay. It's okay. For Becky's sake, he thought, I'm keeping him brave. Dad's been out of the military for 20-plus years, but remembered the routine. All right, soldier. We're almost done, but you've got to hold still. A red sweater appeared in front of my face. Bite it. Like a good boy, I chomped down without questioning, the scratchy wool rubbing the top of my mouth, my breath turning it into a furnace. I'm ready. Dad jammed his finger into the wound, packing the material with the gentleness of an enraged gorilla. Danny shouted, Ow! You're squeezing too hard! I couldn't let go of Danny until Dad finished and patched me up with a bandage. The gray roof grew dimmer until it blended with the black, into a crazy world where Dad said, You did good. <laughs>